I think one of the key challenges of the black left is the way in which it, it lacks like a really solid foothold and sort of realm of influence within the black community, first and foremost. We were sort of talking a little bit earlier about the um, 2020 election and the ways in which, if you look at the South Carolina primary, Representative Clyburn and others, you know, very much around the Democratic Party, were able to mobilize in a way that really swung things for Biden. But I also wouldn't want to overlook that at the outset of that election, just from basic polling, it was pretty evident that a lot of Black activists, folks who would consider themselves part of the Black left, uh, supported other candidates, particularly Senator Sanders. And that position and that support was actually in variance with where most of Black voters were in terms of who their preferred candidate was. That was Toussaint Lossier, professor in the African-American Studies Department at the University of Massachusetts, Amherst. Toussaint will be my co-host of Black Work Talk for this next mini-series on the Black Left. I look forward to these next several episodes. We face a complex set of crises as an anti-democratic movement merges with heightened racism in a context where our assault on the climate has created catastrophes and the corporate elite fights to maintain its dominance over labor and increase further their profits. There are many possible outcomes from this moment. The best ones all involve a strong black left. In this special episode of Black Work Talk, Toussaint and I talk about the challenges facing the building of a powerful black left. But before we get to that conversation, I want to remind you we are starting the second week of our three-week fundraising campaign. Our goal is to get 60 new sustainers. Since we started Black Work Talk, some important recurring monetary costs have increased. In addition, as we think about our next season, we're looking at some changes where we supplement our current single guest interview format and include episodes that go deeper into campaigns, organizations, and neighborhoods, interviewing multiple key players who are driving efforts to build power for black working people and radically change our political economy. Covering higher costs and expanding the podcast requires more revenue, and that means more support from you. So please go to Patreon at www.patreon.com, look for Black Work Talk, and sign up to become a monthly contributor. We need six new sustainers. If you can only make a one-time contribution, that is fine. Also, since we began this campaign, some of our current sustainers decided to raise the contributions. Of course, that works too. Let's get to this convo between me and Toussaint. Now we're starting here our, our second mini-series of the, of the state season two, and we're looking at the Black Left. And my co-host would be Toussaint Lossier, and I'm really glad Toussaint you're on, on board with you, man, so I appreciate that, okay? Mm -hmm. Sure. And we'll talk more, more about later on, but I've, I've known Toussaint in a strange way for, damn near, what, 15, 20 years, man, something like that? Yep. We'll get that later on, kind of true confession later on. But it's good to actually see you, man, and, and work with you on this. But I want to kind of talk to you about an important question that our last guest had, Will Jones. Mm -hmm. you know, Will wrote a phenomenal book about the March on Washington. Mm -hmm. And one of the lessons he drew from his, his study of the March on Washington and the role of black unionists in mobilizing for the march sure. was the importance of having durable institutions and organizations. Mm -hmm. and, and Will mentioned that the more durable those things we had, 
more lasting the victories. So I want to throw out to you, ma'am, what do you think are the key challenges today in building durable institutions and organizations in the black community? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, I think there's several different ways of answering that question. I think on one level, there's an ideological challenge in, to the degree that folks have an appreciation for those durable organizations and institutions being key for winning the kind of victories that the folks see is necessary. So I, I think that there's uh, there's a need to appreciate the fact that at least by the time that you get to the you know the early 1960s that there's a you know clear consensus amongst various different folks in the movement that that is going to be what's important, right? It's going to be those sort of institutions that are going to help weather the storm in particular ways. And and I would, you know, with a kind of eye towards history, make a case for, you know, that to some degree that's a hard fought lesson um, that folks had grasped by the time that you get, that you get to the March on Washington um, in 1963, perhaps from some of the experiences of being involved in efforts around um, the March on Washington during the Depression era and World War II um, and mobilizing for that. Um, and then the other thing is, in addition to that kind of ideological, kind of political challenge around winning people over to the idea that that is a necessary component of winning sustainable victories, I also think that there's, you know, there's some resource challenges in terms of where the kind of current state, especially of the black working classes, in terms of its capacity to support those kind of institutions and um, organizations. So I, th- I think that there are those there are those questions as well. I mean, and then there's also, you know, this sort of like social questions that I think are particularly important for this moment, especially as we get sort of like deeper into the kind of the world that has been shaped by the, you know, the revolutions in digital technology, the degree to which folks have an appreciation for those kind of institutions and organizations as kind of like the kind of places that they want to invest their time and sort of build relationships I wouldn't take it as a given that we're in a moment where that isn't an open question to some degree. Obviously, some of this is a little generational, but to the degree to which folks are more willing to spend the kind of hours that they might have spent in a community meeting or in a um, you know doing work with other folks um, on a variety of different projects. Um, especially as we've seen during the pandemic, how easy it is for people to get sucked into like social media and sort of other forms of community that are, you know, I'm not, I don't want to privilege the kind of folks have to be in the same place at the same time to build those kind of durable institutions and organizations. But um, the degree to which there's at least a commitment to being able to do that offline, online, what have you, some of the kind of tendencies or practices of digital media make it a little bit harder for folks to to sink themselves into the hard work and the kind of necessary work that um, that kind of institutional and organizational building, you know, requires in a lot of ways. As you're talking, what I was thinking about um, how I would process my non-historian take was leading up to the March in Washington. And I think you have, in terms of this notion of durable institutions and durable organizations, you have both um, what I call social basis for it and a, a, an economic and material basis. And what I mean by mm-hmm. that is that um, in many ways, Jim Crow was like a cauldron 
that mm-hmm. forced people together. Mm-hmm. And and it, and it began to to prescribe a set of relationships mm-hmm. that was a basis for, for people to come together and doing things together and having you know either transitory durable situations. Sure. Also, you had because of the Great Migration and the shift of Black folks from the, from the rural areas to the urban areas, south to mm-hmm. north, mm-hmm. You, you had a kind of a more folk, more Black folks involved in kind of the non-service sector of the mm-hmm. economy c- mm-hmm. compared to turn of the 19th, 19th century. Sure. And that kind of was like an economic basis for coming together as well in new organizations. And both those things have changed now. Mm-hmm. They received b- both both the end of segregation mm-hmm. and those sort of you know, various ways folk were forced together. And you see the changing nature of the economy. That means, therefore, we can't reproduce the old world. We, we need a new, new, new world. And to me, it's important because one of the themes in the show, man, is this whole question, the show meaning the, the entire podcast. Sure. It's this whole question of why is there a gap between the activism we see in black folks and what I'll call real existing power. Mm-hmm. And, and my kind of quick example of that is simply South Carolina mm-hmm. in the primary in, in, in 2020, where Biden was on, on the ropes, right? And we saw this movement towards maybe Bernie, maybe Warren. We saw more black activists supporting B- Bernie or Warren. And Biden limped in South Carolina and Clyburn stayed his butt, basically. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and Clyburn had the capacity to mobilize folk in ways that that made Biden our, our president, basically. So there's a gap sure. sometime between what we say and what we can actually do. But before, that's one thing we're going to look at throughout the entire ministry, man. Exactly. But, but quickly, who are you, man? Who, who is Toussaint Lossier? Uh, so I'm originally from Philadelphia, child of both Haitian immigrants to the U.S. and then also folks who can trace their their time in this country back several hundred years. My people originally from North Carolina and then um, Detroit as well, too. And so the fascinating aspect of having both that kind of those both of those traditions to pull on really benefited from the fact that although those were sort of different kind of context from which to kind of understand uh, what it means to be a black person in this country. Both my parents have been active in doing movement work. Uh, my mom, both as uh, in the student movement in Detroit, working with different uh, black liberation organizations as well, too. And then my, my father here in the U.S. working around the democracy movement in Haiti, uh, especially around the Aristide election in the early 1990s and some of the mobilizations around the struggle fighting, you know, the first coup and and, and subsequent uh, politics related to that kind of international solidarity. So that kind of political foundation for me has been has been really key. And then currently I am teaching at UMass Amherst uh, in the Afro-American Studies Department, which has a rich history uh, that links it directly back to the Black Studies movement of the 1960s and 70s. And um, in addition to my teaching there, my scholarship mostly focuses on African-American history, social movement politics, the dynamics of the criminal justice system, and really the intersection between the Black liberation struggle of the 70s and 80s and the emergence of what some scholars refer to as a carceral state. But, you know, that's sort of one hat. The other hat goes back to community organizing, youth organizing, community organizing, especially around issues of housing, 
evictions and foreclosures. And then also um, labor organizing as well. I'm active in my union, the Massachusetts Society of Professors, and uh, just really try to stay active, stay busy, try to get on your level, maybe one day have my own podcast. No, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But i um, really glad to to be able to join you, fan of the show, and appreciate, you know, the kind of the, the the platform that y'all have established in terms of being able to really dig into issues that are issues that are key and questions that are key in a variety of different ways. So man, you say you're, you're from Philly. Are you a basketball fan, man? I am a fan of basketball. I so am a fan the, of basketball. The, the trade was yesterday, man. The trade was yesterday. Yeah. What's, yes. your, what's your take, man? What's your take on the trade? You know, I am uh I am um curious, but being a Philadelphia sports fan you get accustomed to dealing with heartbreak, and so you don't want to you want to set your expectations too high um, to have it all come crashing down. And um, you know, I'm I'm I am I don't want to say I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm more pessimistic, but I'm willing to be proven wrong. Let's put it that way. And, and for the non basketball fans in the audience, the trade means that Philadelphia traded Ben Simmons to Brooklyn Nets for James Harden. So yes. that's, that's, that's the, the big lesson of the day. The, the trade means that, that that trade been down, but equally important, really more yep. important. You mentioned your mom's men in, in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, my memory is that there's a, a deep connection between the work in the plants done mm-hmm. by people with the Dodge with the Union Movement and the broader league and yep. students in Detroit. Was mom by that connection there a little bit? Yeah, exactly. And the way in so which cool. students played a key role in the development of that kind of militant labor organizing and that ability to kind of connect, you know, the politics of what was happening on the shop floor to um, to broader community issues, but kind of in a, in a vein that's sort of similar to the sort of um, core questions that this podcast is wrestling with. You know, what are the ways in which um, that's understood in terms of questions of class and also it sees those struggles taking place um, uh on the shop floor in the workplace as really key towards questions of building power and looking at how that power can be mobilized towards um, uh, a, a broader, uh, more thoroughgoing transformation of our society. Now, circling around all the things we're talking about, man, is the idea of the left, the black left. Mm-hmm. How do we define the black left, man? You know, I, I think uh, I don't have like an easy working definition for what we understand the black left to be. I would say that I think it's at the very least necessary to have an uppercase black left. So like the black uppercase left and black left lowercase left. Meaning that I think that there's a way of talking about the black left to the degree that people have conversations about the black left, which is like I think another question in and of itself. But to the degree that there is a conversation about the black left, I think there's a way of talking about it and understanding it to kind of be inclusive of a broad range of um, organizations, institutions, as we were sort of talking about earlier, political traditions and kind of ideological positions that range across the sort of like, uh, what, what would be, you know, you could consider sort of like the sort of disillusioned liberals and kind of uh, the ways in which that might shade all the way into folks who are drawing on or inspired by nationalist or feminist traditions, obviously uh, Marxist or even anarchist traditions, 
and um, the way in which that's sort of a big tent way of thinking about what the black left means. Um, but I think on another another if you're go, moving from the kind of lowercase definition to the uppercase definition of left, I think the black left in that sense is kind of understood to be the way in which people of African descent in at least in this country have drawn on uh, socialist, communist, sometimes also anarchist or like syndicalist traditions and kind of carved out a particular radical politics that has offered kind of like critiques of what might be best understood as sort of like the mainstream or sort of kind of like historical, especially either like white American or European left, but really developed um, a unique uh, set of ideas and political practices that have established a key set of organizations ranging from like, you know, the African Blood Brotherhood, the ways in which folks moved within, you know, uh, the Communist Party of the United States, some folks who were members of the the Socialist Party, all the way up to the current moment in terms of, say, groups like the Afro-Socialist Caucus within the DSA or uh, more radical organizations, revolutionary organizations on the left. And then I think that there's a there's a really interesting, again, I'm, I think I, I, I don't want to slip too much into putting my historian's hat on, but I think that there's a really interesting trajectory that that kind of history has um, uh, kind of put folks on and given people an opportunity to kind of sink themselves into and, and dig into. But I think at the very least being mindful of kind of what we mean by the left, at least at the very least, in the way in which there's a very easy way in which um, the left means a kind of broad assemblage of folks, a broad spectrum of uh, positions and ideas. Um, and then sort of what we understand properly as a left in terms of uh, a particular set of organizations and, and, and groups in many ways. You know, when I think of that question, my 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 answer, the, the, the short version of my answer, sure. would, would be that when I think about defining the black left, there'd be mm -hmm. two important sort of um, on a criteria or theme to talk about. Sure, one is that is when you look at the issue of, of, of racism mm -hmm. and different types of racism, be it individual, interpersonal, and structural, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for grasp the, the 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 overwhelming importance of structural racism. Sure, and so people don't get wrapped up in just simply. My feelings got hurt, or mm -hmm. he, he or she not acting right. Those sort of things. We see the structural nature of, of the, the problem on race in America. Mm -hmm. And to me, the second important sort of element to the black left is some version of anti-capitalist stance. Mm -hmm. Now, where you take that, it can be a conversation. But sure. people see that, that the problem for the black folks, not simply a matter of race, mm -hmm. is race and political economy. Mm -hmm. And they see the need to fundamentally alter the current political economy. I think that's mm -hmm. really important. Mm -hmm. And I raised the question, I, I think that when you look at kind of um, the broader, broader issues of politics, political ideas, and how movements roll, movements meaning broad swaths of people roll, mm -hmm. a lot of times that rolling is constrained by the ideas that are out there. Sure. And what it's a tendency that I think is unfortunate if you talk about kind of good race men and race women mm -hmm. or strong dudes, strong women sort of thing, mm -hmm. and we don't get into issues of political economy, mm -hmm. and it, it narrows the, the the view of what's possible. Sure. You know, and so we think, I, I always use this phrase kind of coming out of 
of World War II and, and the rise of the Red Scare, mm-hmm. you had a lot of young black folks who kind of went under the wing of Du Bois and Roberson, mm-hmm. the, the children of Du Bois and Roberson. Exactly. You could be living in Hansberry, it could be Ozzie Davis, it could be Helen Belafonte, a range of folk. And because we don't call them the black left, all of a sudden, this is strong black folks. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, it, and it shapes the sense of what's possible. And I think it's really important to more and more talk about the black left, not in a strange, crazy, you know, I got three heads sort of way, right? Mm-hmm. But in a sense that the way we see the problems and how we see connecting black folks sees a different type, type of solutions itself. Sure. Um, what do you think the main challenges facing the black left in, in this country today? Yeah, I mean, I think just building off of your, your last point, I think one of the key challenges of the black left is the way in which it it lacks like a really solid foothold and sort of realm of influence within the black community, first and foremost. We were sort of talking a little bit earlier about the um, 2020 election and the ways in which if you look at the South Carolina primary, Representative Clyburn and others, you know, very much around the Democratic Party were able to mobilize in a way that really swung things for Biden. But I also wouldn't want to overlook that at the outset of that election, just from basic polling, it was pretty evident that a lot of black activists, folks who would consider themselves part of the black left, uh, supported other candidates, particularly Senator Sanders. And that position and that support was actually in variance with where most of black voters were in terms of who their preferred candidate was. And I think there's a lot of ways of talking about that, but I think that the 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 degree of influence that the black left has at this moment in time, in contrast to that period, say of Du Bois and Robeson, um, and in ha- Hansberry and Ozzie Davis, I think that there's a there's a um, you know things are, are trending in a direction where uh, perhaps we could get closer to that moment, and folks on the black left have been able to kind of win some gains in particular ways that reflect a particular shift away from where things are at the moment. But I, I I worry that if we even just use that kind of electoral moment as an example, that we see the ways in which the black left on one level faces, a, you know, not an impossible task, but at least an uphill climb in terms of being able to um, regain a stronger degree of influence within the black community in terms of its ideas and the kind of solutions that folks might pick up on and grasp in terms of how to how to navigate relatively difficult set of situations. And I think the idea of trying to get more influences goes back to the first question we talked about in terms of durable institutions and organizations. I think without those sort of factors, we don't have strong organizations, don't have durable institutions that are vibrant in, in the community itself, your ideas can't have any sort of staying power. And so two things I think are really important linked, linked together. Um, the, the last thing I, I want to ask and move on some more things, I want to say and move on some more things, to me, the, other, the importance of raising the explicit question of the black left and how folk move is because, for lack of a better term, call it black liberals, black centrists, in some ways they are either subtle or non-subtly on the attack against black leftists. You know, and, and so Clyburn will talk about how free education is you know, crazy, okay? Mm-hmm. Or people talk about how Eric Adams you know, won the vote in New York against you know, these radical people. So mm-hmm. they're very much on the attack, boasting their power in some ways. True. And it seems to me that given 
that's sort of how they're moving, it's important for the back left to move in ways that not just rhetorically, but through actual heft and strength can, can, can build power and move, move as well. Now, what do you hope to get out of this miniseries, man? I mean, I really am interested in digging into this conversation more. Unfortunately, we don't, I think, have that many platforms where we're talking about the current state of the black left and, you know, an opportunity to to have those conversations with the kind of guests that you've been able to have on this podcast in the past. And so I think really having a deeper and more rigorous conversation around these points is one of the things that's going to help us improve the situation and potentially get us to a better place. So I'm excited to do this. And then I'm also excited about it because I think it's the sort of stuff that we need to do to be able to, to change things for the better. Now, one thing I found really cool, Tucson, you, you probably you might, you might find the same thing, is that as I engage in the conversations, I learn and grow myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm not just simply, you know, 20 questions for the answers, but actually the engagement helps me grow and learn. I've enjoyed doing this stuff. So uh, it should be cool, man. But right now you have two hats on. You're both co-hosts, but also you're my guest today. So I always ask my guests three questions. Mm-hmm. One, how do you define black freedom? I think having black folks in a position where they are able to develop to their fullest capacities to fully not only like exercise the freedom to do one thing or another, but really in the position for us as a people to be able to to grow and, you know, reach the kind of potential that we have, I think is kind of the hallmark for me of, of black freedom, the kind of space to to not simply be unconstrained in a particular way, right? Like, so a lot of the day-to-day research that I have focuses on questions of mass incarceration and really how that represents uh, a particular state of unfreedom, but more so the the kind of range and opportunity to be able to to um, to further, you know, develop ourselves as a people, I think is, is essential for me. Cool, cool. Um, music, man, what music you listen to? I listen to like a lot of uh, these days. It depends because I have two young kids. I have a eight year old and I have a six year old and I love them dearly. When I am around my kids, I am very much old school. I, I'm, I like jazz music. I like soul music. I have a I have a playlist that I dig into and that my kids don't find the most exciting. But I'm like, at least in the background will be the exposure to these, you know, the classics. Um, and then, you know, when I have some time to myself. I am uh, a child of hip hop. And so I have the artists mostly, um, you know, I will say a lot of what I've been listening to is um, Griselda Records. It's this group of artists out of um, Buffalo, New York, who have been, you know, making an impact in more mainstream hip hop in a way that you don't usually expect from people from like upstate New York, not in the city. And beyond that, I think this came up on a prior podcast. I'm still waiting to hear when Kendrick drops his next album. You know, there's a couple artists that I have rotation that I like a lot. A couple New York artists, a couple Chicago artists. But Griselda is kind of one of the the go-tos for me in terms of if I have some time to myself, you know, in the gym or just to to have something on in the background. That's what I go to. That's cool, man. I'm glad you're raising your children right, by, by the way. 
Graduation, no right? I'm, I'm a funny story when um, I have to drive my kid, my girls to, to school back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the station we listened to always had oldies on Fridays, you know, to play mm-hmm. some old Smokey Robinson. And one daughter said, Daddy, that sounds so literate. <laughs> I said, Yo, that's the idea, you know. <laughs> um, but anyway, what you reading, man? What you reading? So uh, there's a couple things that I'm reading. I'm teaching a class right now that's on. Um, the history, uh, really from uh, black history from the Civil War all the way up to the Civil Rights Movement. So ironically, I actually just picked up uh, Adolf Reed's new book on the um, afterlives of Jim Crow. You know, I have a I have like a complicated relationship with Reed. I'll put it that way. But I think the thing that you can always appreciate about Adolf Reed, regardless if you agree with him or disagree with him, is that his his analysis and his argumentation is sharp. You're not going to get anything fluffy. There's no softballs in his game. And so I'm really, you know, I'm interested to see sort of what he he brings to the table. Yeah. That book is on my shelf, too. I, I opened it up, too. It's interesting for sure, man. Yep. This is this is great, man. I'm, I'm so excited about this new miniseries. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, we, you and I talked about who should be on this miniseries. And we we, we were, were slotting out four slots. Mm-hmm. We had a whole bunch of names. We may get some extra, extra episodes in there as sure. well. This should be good, man. So, man, enjoy your weekend. All right, for sure. I'm looking forward to it. That was a good setup for our Black Left miniseries. We are lining up a really good set of interviews that will allow us to explore this central question. Why does the Black Left today have less power relative to Black liberals and Black centrists in the Black community? I really want to get away from arcane issues of politics and or ideology and focus on this essential issue of power building. I look forward to the next episodes. And before I go, please don't forget about our fundraising campaign. We need 60 new sustainers. Please go to Patreon at www.patreon.com. Look for Black Work Talk and sign up to become a monthly contributor. If you can only make a one-time contribution, that is fine. Whatever works for you, works for me. Till next time, stay safe and be well.